All right, Inappropriate Earl's back, and uh, I've been after this interview for a long time. Welcome, Super Agent Marty Power. And uh, <laughs> just kidding, just I do my research. A lot of people ask me if I'm related to this next guest because of his last name, the great Jamie Kennedy. Dude, what's up, bro? I mean, uh, because my aunt is Ethel Kennedy, people always think you and I are somehow related. Yeah, so you're you're a, you're of I'm the, a skakel. Yeah. I mean, this is about you, but just I'd like to get a little bit No, I would like to get a little backstory. Um Are you Hyannisport? No, we had we were Bel Air. Your whole life? I'm switching glasses. Um yeah, I was born and raised in the hills of Bel Air. Not bragging, it's just where it's I was tough. The slums of Bel Air. I mean, when your neighbors were Kareem. Yeah. Uh, O.J. Simpson. Yeah. When he had money. Rockingham. No, no. This is Bel Air. He used to live in Bel Air. Oh. Before he... That was Brentwood. Before he butchered two people. Yeah. Um, and then who else was there? James Kahn. Yeah. Um, Will Chamberlain. Uh, I mean, it was like a who's who of... Uh, by How by um, Charing Cross? Uh, it, I'll give out the address, uh, 10500 Roca Place, which is... How uh, far from uh, Ronald Reagan's? It's about a mile up from the Bel Air Hotel. Oh, dude, I've had some wonderful late night... Oh, I bet you have. ...snacks at the Bel Air Hotel. Just actual, like a plate of gear. Is that how you say it? It's the best. It's the best. Just the vibe. It's kind of hidden. Oh, it's amazing. Especially for celebrities, you know, I would imagine that that would be their hotel of choice to do whatever. Well, the Polo Lounge was like good, but Bel Air was just way sneakier. That well, piano. like if you had a date with, yeah. the, let's just say Jennifer Love Hewitt, possibly who, who you did date. Yes, I would think the Bel Air Hotel would be a good option, just because there's not really a lot of paparazzi there, none that I know of. None. So you guys could have a, a peaceful dinner or, you know, whatever. Yes, they're very chill. But also, the, <laughs> they were redoing it. Yeah, the uh, Prince of Brunei, I think, owns... Uh, I think he might own both the Bel Air and Beverly Hills Hotel. So uh, it's fixed or renovated. Um, but I know he got into some trouble for um possibly being anti uh he made some anti-gay statements yeah he's he's had he's got a few problems and not uh the greatest lover of uh, women's rights yeah so uh people were protesting but i mean but that's you, where i grew up you you were born out here born and raised so uh, wait but you are a kennedy no i'm a skakel but you were by marriage right ethel married my uh Ethel was my dad's sister, or was, is my dad's sister. She married Bobby Kennedy. So I think I'm related to you. I mean. Because they say we're all related. Well, Kennedy's, uh, like you grew up in Philly, right? Philly. You were born in Philly. Yeah. Um, and it that's, you know, close enough to like Connecticut, Hyannisport. I mean, it, it's a huge I mean, I have so many first cousins, I've never met them all. Yeah, I know. And there's a whole, there's just a whole, there's a big tribe in Ireland that goes back in the Kennedy tribe, I believe is from like yeah. Donegal or Cork. 
and so were the Skakels. Yeah, and Skakels are... And, you know, the Skakels aren't well known. <laughs> Maybe one is for all the wrong reasons, but, you know, we don't have to talk about that trial. Uh, and they were, a lot of them were from Ireland, too, so... Yeah. It, like, it was like the merging of two gigantic Irish Catholic families. I know. But people have, have often said to me, do you know Earl Skakel? You guys might be related. And we've never really met. You know, you'd think we we're in different scenes, but we're in the scene. But you're like, in the successful one. No, I mean, yeah, I do all right. But you're you're you. I see you when I go to the store, but usually different times, and you don't. Yeah, you're on at ten. <laughs> I'm on at you know three in the morning. <laughs> well, no, I it is because we've been. Uh, I've been in comedy like twenty years. I mm -hmm. guess you'd think we would have. Uh, run into each other at some point yeah uh but that's how big and small the comedy community is yeah but do you feel that i feel that it's much more um interwoven now because like just right now like you and me meeting we you reached out and and you definitely obviously i know a lot of people that you know and i feel that the community now is much more connected well, I think there's a lot more actors getting into stand-up, like successful actors. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think more people are getting into the field than, yeah. than have ever been in. Uh, but, you know, with you, I, I'm obsessed with one of your movies, Boiler Room. I you, mean, it's hard to pick what I want to talk uh, to you with because your IMDb page is like M. Emmett Walsh's, like, like <laughs> hundreds of, like, projects. But... Uh, Boiler Room is just like a guilty pleasure of mine. When did when did you discover it? I'll never forget. It was at the Beverly Center Theater, and uh, this was when the Beverly Center had that movie theater on the uh, whatever the the eighth floor. I think now it's an H and M store. And uh, I didn't. My friend Eric, who I'm not name dropping, or it's the only way to explain the story. He worked for Scott Rudin, and. Uh, he was uh, also a guy by the name of John Hertzfeld who, like, directed, uh, I think, Stallone's Cobra and, and other things. Mm -hmm. um, so he's like, hey, I, I've heard a lot of good things about this movie, Boiler Room. I'm like, what's it about? He's like, oh, it's about, like, telemarketing scams. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And so we picked, a, like, a Wednesday night or something, and it was just me and Eric and two black people, like, a couple rows in front of us. And as soon as the movie started, Boiler Room was 2000, right? Yeah. There was an African-American themed movie like Booty Call or, or Fat Beach, something along those lines. And okay. as soon as the movie started, the black guy's like, shit, this ain't whatever the movie was. Mm -hmm. It was just me and Eric in the theater. Mm -hmm. And I just loved I just loved the movie. I mean, I, it's like Goodfellas to me where I watch it anytime it's on and I never get bored. And Wow, dude, that's a big compliment, man. Well, I'm not trying to kiss your ass because I get accused. There's nothing I wrong. I don't know if you read uh, your podcast reviews. Sometimes I do. Every now and then I'll just go, oh, I want to, you know, you do it for people to enjoy. And then this one guy was like, I used to like this guy when he had like rock and roll guests on. Now he's just a blatant ass kisser. But <laughs> really? What, what am I supposed to do? Like. I, get you over to my house and then like, I don't know shit on the hundreds of movies you've done that I haven't like, like, but I just 
I mean, the cast of Boiler Room to me, I guess, drew me in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, just like there's so many funny scenes, and like I related to that movie because it reminded me of the crew I started comedy with. It was just mm-hmm. like a rat pack of five or six of us. We any room we walked into, we like took over. And who did you start comedy with? A lot of open micers quit. They I'm did like, quit. Oh yeah, yeah, I would say. I mean, I st- I started so long ago. I really don't remember when I started. I'll guess ninety nine. Yeah. Um, I lost my parents two months apart in ninety eight. Oh man, sorry. And, yeah, I don't mean to like bring the mood down, but uh, yeah. I mean that's what got me started. I was like, all right, I gotta get, I gotta get it together here. Mm. Um, and then I just started open. My I, my first time ever was at the comedy store, and I just wasn't ready. Looking back now, it's like potluck. Potluck. Brody Stevens was uh, the MC, and he made a kid cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, not I, looking back now, I think it's funny because mm-hmm. you knew Brody, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, he talked about everyone knowing him, mm-hmm. uh, and this kid had bombed pretty badly. And this is in the dark days of the store. This is not mm-hmm. the last couple of years, and. Uh, Brody was like, and I can't do a good impression of him, but he's like, where are you from, kid? And kid was like, dejected. He's like, "Uh, San Diego. And Brody was like, well, that drive just got a lot longer. And and I just thought, wow, this guy's a dick. He's hilarious. (laughs) And the kid, I've never seen the kid since. I really think. Oh, wow. I'm not necessarily. Well, he wasn't meant to be doing it. Well, you know, I mean, you got to uh, be able to get through that because you and your acting career, uh, what did you audition? I think I read something like over a hundred commercials before you booked one. Eighty, and then I got my eighty-first one. And then, but like that's a lot of rejection, and that's nothing. No, a ton of rejection. Uh, a ton of rejection. I started up here at. The, I started as a comedian too, like so. I mean, the amount of rejection on stage and doing the pot. I did the potluck. I remember my first potluck was in 1990. And that I've thought the store went to like 4am. I swear I had a spot at like 310am. Possible. And it was jammed. And I ate such a bag of dicks, but like it was still packed and people, (laughs) that was like, I had a shirt on. It was kind of paisley. And the first thing I do when I get up there, they go, what's up? You ain't vanilla ice. And just fucking just heckled the shit out of me. And and I was like, I couldn't even get two words out. Well, how did you deal with, uh, I mean, cause it's brutal rejection. Yeah. How how do you deal? I I mean, you obviously, uh, your perseverance paid off. Yeah. I think that I don't, you, you, you don't have anything else. You know, and you don't, and it's kind of, you're doing what you love. I hate to say seem nerdy or, but it's like the journey is the destination, you know? So it's like, if you do enjoy it, like getting to an open mic and getting to laughs is like, oh, I'm on the right path. And then like sitting with like one of your buddies afterwards at Mel's or Swingers. And then like, you knew that a new line worked and like, just enough, just a, just one little positive reinforcement from your co, your colleagues or whatever, and then you, on the right way. But you have nothing else. I had nothing else. Cause you made the leap from Philly to LA. Just were you like, this is where I have to be to. It's a long story, but the basic story is was Tell I. It. <laughs> I, 
I wanted, I somehow wanted to be involved in Hollywood. I was always a fan of comedy and movies and shit. I didn't even want to say I was a fan of actors or whatever. I didn't know anything. I just liked Hollywood. And I thought, well, there's, there's something there. Right. And I was drawn to it. So then um, I took a local acting class in Philly. And then from that local class, I got to meet people. And one of the people is my friend's mom. And she was like a local actress and she was doing like plays and stuff. And she had a local commercial, a Jiffy Lube commercial with Bill Berge. You know, Bill Berge, he was the linebacker for the Eagles. Oh, absolutely. And so he was like the Jiffy Lube guy in Philly. Long story boring. She's like, there's a movie shooting in town. I'm like, a movie? What? what? And it was shooting in Delaware. And she's like, come with me at 5 a.m., bring these type of clothes and blah, blah, blah. And I did. I met a second AD and they're like, will you cut your hair? Boom. Do you have sweater vest? Boom. You know, okay, report tomorrow at 5 a.m. And you can come down. And the next day I was a fucking extra and the movie was Dead Poet Society. That's amazing. Yeah, that was my first crazy for it. Like I want, I wanted to be around a couple movies shot in the area, but I didn't, I would just like be one, a looky-loo. And then I met somebody and then, yeah, dude, literally the next day I was literally next to Robin Williams and he was eating hummus with a baby carrot. Like I was, I was like next to him at the craft service. It was bizarre. And I was at Domino's serving pizzas the night before. Did you talk to him at all? Like I know I just kind of like said a quote of Mork, but he kind of didn't hear it and he just kept going. I was too way weirded out. And then what made you go? I got to go to LA. Cause I find most people either go to New York or LA. What was, it? um, I was just, New York was too close. I had always seen all the stuff about how L.A. was. I loved L.A. I loved it on movies. I loved it on TV. I loved John Hughes movies. And I just said, if I'm going to struggle, I just figure out I could struggle in L.A. easier. Right. And I said, I'm going to go to L.A. because there's a lot of productions. And my thought was, well, I got an extra job here. Well, there's a hundred times more movies out there. I can probably get another extra job out there and be in the land of extras. I had no idea about acting. I was just, I'm going to be an extra. And that's why. So I took the plane and saved up. But there are some people who make a living. A hundred percent, dude. I was on for the first year of my life. That's all I wanted to do. And it was harder. It's actually hard because there's so many extras. And it's brutal. Uh, you know, you're not treated the best. Like you're herded around. Yeah, but at the but it's better. You're on set, dude, and over there is Eric Estrada. You know, you're on set, and over there is you know uh, Ron Jeremy. You know, when he was well, doing a crossover, not, not can't, anymore. Can't say that now, but Golden yeah, Golden Artist Entertainment. Yeah, <laughs> is that what you were gonna say? But but you're on set, and you're you're seeing famous people. You're like, holy shit, this is insane. So. So you you call in for your avails and then it's on, but it's hard because there's a lot of people competing to be extras. Yeah, every I find every facet of the entertainment business is so competitive. Like yes, extras it's it's kind of um, very dog eat dog to get the better extra. It's true roles. Um, you know, stand up just to get on. I mean, obviously you're not doing open mics, but like. There's still like to get on at the good open mics or, I mean, there's no easy part of this business, is there? 
No, it's it's not, but it's changing so much. How's it changed from like when you started? There, there really wasn't online stuff, and and you, you know back then, I think maybe you relied a little more on an agent or a manager to get you, yeah, out there. Now you can do it on your own. I would say that now you can just create your own thing, and if you build it. They will come, you know, and they will, it, people will find you if they're digging it. And it's just, this is like before you had to get tape. Right. And then you had to go and take it to the editing place and then you had to get the tape dubbed and then you had to have a guy edit the tape and then you had to go and get mail and drop off the tape. I mean, there was so much physical manual labor just to get one tape out for somebody to watch you to reject you. Now they can just reject you with an email if they even open it. Right. So it's a lot easier. Now, what was your first big break film-wise? Uh, How did you get it? Well, I started getting those commercials. Like, I had no commercials. And then I got one. And then, that, like, like happens, and you get another one. And it just let, and like, I went and got, like, five commercials, like, from not having anything. And so then I started auditioning for stuff and I got a guest spot on the TV show. And then what that, TV show? There was a guy by the name of Ron Levitt. God rest his soul. He was a creator of Married with Children. Oh, okay. And Ron Levitt was kind of the cornerstone of the Fox network with that show, that and 21 Jump Street. And he then goes and gets on the WB, the WB starting like 10 years after Fox and they bring Ron and they're like, how can we make a hit show? And so he does a show that was like a married with children kind of sister called unhappily ever after or brother show. And uh, Bobcat was about, was about a, it was about a family or whatever. And they had a, a, a rabbit in the basement. I know they had like a, a rabbit in the basement that talked. And it was, it was called Unhappily Ever After. And Bobcat was the voice of the rabbit. And my first, one of my first roles was Stoney on that show. And, and Ron Levitt was the OG coolest motherfucker in Hollywood. Okay. So he was dating Jessica Hahn. Good for him. Yeah. And he would go hit balls at Witsit. And he had a real deep voice and he smoked, I want to say he smoked like Newport menthols. Like he was just one after the other. And he was like, how are you, Jamie? Like, what do you got? What do you got? And when you laughed, he laughed. And when he didn't laugh, he would say, we got to punch that up. And he, he gave me his character, Stoney. I auditioned. I got it in the room and Jessica was on set. And Jessica was, I owe a lot to her, actually. She was really instrumental. She was like, this guy's funny. You got to write him in more. So then they they ended up writing me in like three or four episodes. And that just helped me immensely. Because then from there, the same casting director cast a few big things. Tammy Billick. And she cast Ellen Show. And then I got on Ellen. And it, was, it, was, it was really, I was really fortunate. But I mean, I was struggling for a long time but then when my opportunity came i was able to seize it it's funny you mentioned married with children i'm a big miami vice guy and uh ed o'neill was in season one and, and maybe the greatest episode ever it was, it was a serious role and it was just like 
He's such a good actor. Yeah, no, he doesn't get the credit because, you know, he's Al Bundy, but... Uh, he's so much more than Al Bundy. I mean, he's so good on Modern Family, but you're right. He has some dramatic turns that are really good. Yeah, he played a uh, DEA guy who'd gone rogue. <laughs> <laughs> and he also mentioned Eric Estrada. I was once at Best Buy, and he was wearing a blue shirt. I didn't know it was him because he, he had his back to me. And I said, hey, man, you know where the CDs are? And he turned around, and I'm like... Sorry, dude. Oh, you thought he were? Oh, because, I thought he worked there, and he yeah. showed me where the CDs were. Like he actually took me to. He's uh, sweet. That's sweet. So, Scream would that be like your Scream first was like breakout? Like, oh my god, I'm in a fat movie. Uh, yeah, that was like my second movie. My first movie was Romeo and Juliet, which I got to audition for multiple times after I started getting some TV stuff. So you start getting in rooms, and then from there. After many auditions, I got Scream, and Scream was why it's kind of one of those things that when something works in Hollywood, it's because there's less interference. Right. And it was like this little horror movie, basically the Weinstein brothers. Uh oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, he's right. Well, you had, well, you've worked with some dudes. Yeah, I know. Didn't do you got in right before right the storm. Before, yeah, right before the storm, about 20 years before. And they had Miramax, which you know is the hottest oh, yeah. every year as a new Oscar. And so they're like, look, these movies are good, but I want to make a commercial one too that just make money too. And so Bob decided they were going to open up Dimension, which was like the more um, genre. So they're going to make comedies and stuff like that and horror. And so Scream was like their first horror thing out, out of the gate right after, no, uh, uh, the Robert Rodriguez Quentin Tarantino movie, the uh, Dust Till Dawn, that was like their first one, right? And then uh, Scream, and so Scream was like this little movie, and they made it for like ten million bucks, and we all thought this is this could be cool, like this would be neat, like but like we didn't know. We thought, well, if it came out and then like did good on VHS, right? I'd have a new life. We had no idea, but we knew it was good, and then once it just no one get, no one knew anything about it. And it just slowly blew up each. I remember going to Westwood to the uh, Bruin oh my God. every weekend to check it. And each weekend it was fuller. So like by the fifth weekend, it was like sold out. I was like, what the fuck? This is insane. Like it was like my second movie. So it would just be packed at the Bruin. And you know, cause you know what that is. That's the Mecca. It's like- and it's like, I was like, and the, the, the Bruin was like, dude, we can't keep enough tickets. And I was like, and so it was like five weeks just getting more popular. I mean, I don't want to get too local for the out of town list. But everybody knows that. It's the Bruin right across the Fox. Yep. Uh, and in the 80s and 90s, in, any big movie premiere was either at the Bruin or the Fox. I mean, uh, everything. I was with the Matrix 2 premiere, I was there. The James Bond, the one I forget, like the 97 when I was there. It, Dude, but just every movie was there, dude. I mean, that's when people, like, what, I sound old saying this, but, like, Westwood used to be the place like, <laughs> to take dates, to go to any movie. You know, now I think there was a shooting there. There was a shooting, and it ruined the vibe. I think right before Scream, like, maybe yeah. 89. Yes. Uh, an Asian uh, student died, unfortunately, and then I think people started migrating to uh, the Third Street Promenade. Yes. And, uh, 
and, and which was fun at times, but it just wasn't the same. You know, Westwood was just like Westwood was the place where everybody hung, and it was like safe and sweet. Yeah, it was like there's no crime. It's no, like the Hari Krishners are running around. Yes, and, you know. Uh, but you are the second cast member of Scream to sit on this couch. Let me guess who the other one is. Well, I, I, before you do, I want you to know, I ask a lot of celebrities to come on. 90% say no. So, uh, Do you DM them? You know, yes, I DM them. I, uh, Instagram now has become maybe uh, my uh, preferred mode. Because I know it's weird to be like, who the fuck is this guy asking me to come to his house? And like, <laughs> I don't know this clown. Unless you've watched Roast Battle, I, I don't think you're going to know who I am. So I get why people say no, but this person said yes instantly. And take a guess at who they were. David. Yes. I knew it was David. David, do you know David? We do now. He saw me once at the comedy store, and I'm a big pro wrestling guy, for better or worse. And uh, I think I was doing jokes about uh, Sting, the wrestler, and uh, this is... You know, he was, uh, he came to the store and he, he was a little wild that night. Uh, you know, yeah, I think he might have been in a bad place, but he was still very cool to everyone. And uh, mm. I, I was the only one who everyone's bugging him about Scream and, and, you know, his sisters and Courtney Cox. And I was like, hey, I want to talk to you about wrestling. And he loved that. I was like, Will you come on my podcast. Like, yeah, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, oh, I don't know, interviewing you and the, like he said, two o'clock, and at one fifty nine, there's a knock on my door. Like I was so impressed by his, I guess, professionalism. Oh, he's the best, dude. David is 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 the kindest guy. Yeah, and, and he will. He'll show. He's very professional. Like I don't know how he got into this building because this is kind of a high security building for you know the area, and uh, I just watched his documentary. I have to watch it. It's amazing. It's wrestling heavy just because that's what he's like. It's called You Can't Kill David Arquette. Yeah. And uh, like if you're not like a pro wrestling freak, it might be uh, not boring, but it might you might go in and out of the interest just because it's so focused on pro wrestling and his return. Yeah. But it, it's really uh, sad at times because, you know, he's, he's beating his body up again and you know he, he got a lot of shit for winning the title you know uh, dude he does it though but, i've seen yeah. him i've seen the cuts i've been with him in events like oh he's amazing he's a real he really does it and he goes and it's there's nothing fake about it. He's doing those falls oh yeah i mean it, it's because he right around the, the time of ready to rumble yeah, just a wrestling movie. I think someone from WCW, which was the main competition, you're probably learning way too much about wrestling right now. But they were like second to WWE, and they said, "Well, let's put the title on him." And he didn't want it because he knew fans would hate him. So, mm -hmm. and then they put it on him. What just happened to your glasses? I did. <laughs> These are my reading glasses. Dude, you fucking... For people at home, your glasses are just They're coming jacked. apart. So I'll put Bro, these back on. I'm trying to read... Dude, you've got I'm like a thousand credits I'm trying to... It's like, all good. <laughs> I mean, it's out of control right Dude, now. Dude, you, you got those Bob Evans, though. Everyone must say that. Well, these are my uh, um, 
uh, Ace Rothstein glasses from Casino. Yeah. At the end. <laughs> yes. And then these are my, uh, you know, Bob Evans on uh, on set in '65. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it, David was like so amazing, and, and you know, I root for him. And he's a great guy. All right, back to you. Back to me. The scream happens. It blows up. Yes. And then I'm assuming your offers for bigger and better movies and TV. I mean, how how soon after the success of Scream does your agents go, hey, dude, you got some work coming? That you know what they kind of do and they kind of don't. Like they, I didn't know what was next, so I started auditioning a lot, and then through auditioning, you know, I started getting some roles, and then. I didn't know that even Scream 2 was going to happen. And then when it did, I was a big part for me. And that really helped push me into the more. And so, but I auditioned a ton of, for a lot of stuff and I started getting stuff. And so, but it wasn't like offers. I didn't get offers for a long time. Did you, I mean, cause I don't think people realize uh, that even someone like you after Scream still gets turned down for stuff. like All the time. Like, I think they just think, oh, you wake up, you just you don't even audition, you just show up. Okay, I'm here. I was in Scream. Where, where do I go? Dude, I was talking about this today. It's so weird, especially now, you know, because the business wants you to, like, self-tape through Zoom, right? So do you, you act... Um, I'm more into voiceovers. Like I'm, uh, so it's the same type of deal, but on camera. That I love. The yeah. voiceovers from home. You know, with this setup is, uh, it's good. But it's it's hard because you don't really get direction. It's just you get the little breakdown. Okay, we need a bad guy voice. Yeah. Uh, you know, don't be too over the top. Well, what does that mean? I know. So now we do this on Zoom, and the Zoom is they got to you do it and then they look at your tape but it's like i've already done like so much stuff what do you need to see like yeah. and so i shouldn't have to audition as much as i do but i still do get some offers but it's like it's like but now that though it's much more colder it's just like unless you're certain people that's part of getting the movie greenlit the rest of us are still having to dance for our dinner. And that's you. You've been a working actor for 31 years. Yeah. And yeah. you still have to do a Zoom audition. That's crazy to me. Like, what I, do they need to see? I do. I do. I, I, but I do get some offers, but they're usually independents. Like anything in the studio system, anything with one of the big streamers, I have to read my face off. Now, it doesn't mean that. I mean, other people do too. We all do. So it's, it's, I know that's what I'm saying. I mean, I'm happy to do it, but it's like, at some point my brother's like, dude, don't they know you can act anymore? <laughs> like that, how much more do you have to do? And it's just, it's, it's what's weird about the business now. People are overthinking. There's never been more outlets, but never been more overthinking. I think there's so much garbage out there. <laughs> dude, there's so much stuff. I mean, you you wonder uh, how things don't last, and uh, like I was a huge fan of this Ray Liotta show on CBS called Smith. Uh, was, was it good? 
he ran a bank robbing crew and it was uh i guess simon baker might have been the you know the mentalist guy yeah uh, he might have been the, the second most famous person in it virginia madsen uh, yeah and a great script great cast great i thought it was a good storyline and uh they didn't even finish the first season. They just cut it like three episodes in. But Big Brother's on the air for 25 seasons. Like, yeah, I don't get dude. That. Dude, there's, it's, there's, that's why the business, it's great though. It's a great time. You do what you do and your fans will fuck with you. I agree with that. You know, I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, when Rogan just had this small podcast and but he like every day his fan base grew and grew and grew but he was mm -hmm. always he was always kind of famous but like he got to that next level just almost day by day it just grew and grew and yeah like uh i mean i think that's what we all want yeah i mean but that it, it's so yeah it's it's beautiful look at what his is just co complete attrition and hard work you know and it's like i think that that's what this poll podcasting and youtubing is and i and i love it i love taking control of my own shit i still like to audition i'd rather you just throw me an offer but right do you find you're almost too like when you walk in well i guess no one walks into an audition room now but like when life goes back to being normal or even on zoom do you find casting directors look at you and go oh that's the guy from screen does it help or hurt you like being in such a big movie or franchise. I actually had somebody tell me the other day, like, you gotta, like, because I have all different scenes in them, and, like, right. this, people want to look at stuff, and they're like, yeah, you you could take the scream scenes off. And I'm like, I don't even know what was on there. It was, like, some reel online. And I go, okay. She's like, I mean, because it's great, but it's 25 years ago. And I go, well, I don't know. That's what my agent had on there. And they're like, yeah, you want to take that off and keep more current stuff. I'm like, well... All right, but I didn't even know. It's like it's so it, it can hurt you. It's like it's more like the fans love it, and the town is more like. Well, did you have you gone in for Bridgerton? You know, like what's the? Did you do the newest FXXX show? It's like that's where we're at. It's like they they are literally like, what have you done for me in the last hour? Right. Pedigree is like few and far between of legacy. Well, you just have so much good shit on your resume. I appreciate that. Bro. And and once again, like, you know, Boiler Room was, was not, it was a, like, would you call it a dark comedy? Dude, I, first of all, let me give you a little history on that. I love that. I love that you say that. So, so wait, so you, um, you tell me and then I'm going to tell you. So you go in the movie theater not knowing anything. Not knowing anything. And you went with another producer or director. Um. Uh, he was at the time an assistant for Scott Rudin um, and Hertzfeld. He he was like a freelancer, and all his his friends and him were the ones who got me into stand up. What does he do now? He is like the new Tony Robbins. He, okay, he's a self helper, but he's like he's a very driven person, so he will succeed on some level in that field. But he was the one who's like, dude, just get into stand up. You're funnier than any of the people I work with and, and all that stuff. Uh, but he, he really wanted to see boiler room. And I just remember going, this reminds me of my group of friends. So let me tell you what happened. So at that time I was doing, you know, different movies and it was like the way I like to do it. You just go from movie to movie to movie. You're, you're on a set, you're auditioning, you fly in to meet the director and then 
when that movie's wrapping up, then you find out if you got another movie and it's awesome, right? And that's when they were making more movies per se that were just coming out in theaters. And so Boiler Room was like this young, amazing director, Ben Younger, and he was, he's a young auteur, you know, he was a writer, director, um, producer, and an actor too. And he worked at a chop shop, as we say, it's a fucking chop shop. And, and he's like, it was a crazy experience. And so I'm like, where was this? He was like, oh, I was in fucking uh, off the LIE or whatever. I come, I, he works for Jordan Belfort. I believe he worked in one of Jordan Belfort's rooms. So that was a fictional take right. on his experiences in the Wolf of Wall Street. Now, obviously, he put his other stuff in there. I don't know what's true and what isn't. Then the Wolf of Wall Street comes out 13 years later, and that was based on the actual account. So that's what's kind of crazy about that universe. So when I went in, I met with him, and, and um, it was just one of those movies that why, we, why it worked, like you're saying, is because it just clicked. You got a young guy who's a real hardcore New York kid. I think he was from Queens. And he just knew the game. He knew the hustle. He he was he's his total hip hop head. He knows the downest hip hop. And he was a great writer and a great director. And so like he was given an X amount of money to do it. And the young producers, the Todd sisters, who ended up who are very big producers. They produced all the Austin Powers and uh the um Alice in Wonderland. But this was like a this was a real artistic lower budget movie. And they said, you know, we're going to let, we're going to protect you. And they protected to him and he hired who he wanted and the studio kind of let him. So he hired all these young guys and we all kind of knew each other. Kind of like how, you know, like young comics, when you're coming up, you're all together. And we just do, we just had New York. We, we, we had like eight weeks in a hotel and like Soho and we just ran it. And it was, we were kind of living what we were doing. Well, you could, I think what I like, most about it was like uh like when i watched sons of anarchy mm-hmm. um you could tell the cast liked each other like, yeah it's weird to look at a tv screen and and uh and then you could on the opposite you could uh like i'm a big stallone guy yeah and, uh, i was watching his movie nighthawks which is uh, wow, you love that 19, yeah it's a very uh i mean he's done so much work that it, it kind of falls under the radar, I guess, but you could tell him and Rutger Hauer did not like each other in real life. You could just feel, and it worked because for that movie, Rutger Hauer was a terrorist and Stallone's the cop trying to get him. But like with Boiler Room, it just, you could tell you guys were friends. Like, yeah, dude, we really, we laughed all day and we had guys, the director really let us improvise, dude. We improvised a fucking lot of the movie and we also said his lines, but we, Right. Had fun and we would have big meals down in the city at 2 a.m. And then we'd stay up all night and go to work at 5.30. And, you know, the whole the whole thing. Taken in New York with per diem. Now, I got to ask you this. That once, and I know this is one scene from one movie you did at 21 years <laughs> I'm ago. glad you know it's hard to remember. Well, go ahead. Um, 
when you guys are uh, arguing with the gay table next door or uh, next to you guys. Wait, I dude, you brought that up on Twitter. I just kind of forgot that scene. It's the funniest fucking scene. Pardon my language. I got to remember this. It's a scene. I can almost say it line by line. You guys are like being loud at your table. And then the and I know he must be an improv actor. Uh, he's Was saying, it Nikki? Uh, no, it was more Scott Scotty being out of control, and then the gay table next to you guys, the one main, he, he was almost like the leader of the table. He was like, "Excuse me, excuse me, you're at a ten. I could use you at a two. Oh yeah, I remember that. And then, well, you got a good line in this because Scott Con says something to the effect of, "You know what? I want to put you guys all on an island." All of you. And the, the main gay guy's like, guess what? You're on it. And then you say to Scott Kahn, he got you there. Yeah. <laughs> just, I'm sorry. Man. It, was, it was just like, you could tell you guys even had chemistry with those four actors who yeah. were day players in that one scene. Yeah. Uh, Dude, I do remember that scene. That was so fun. Yeah, they were. It was, everybody on that movie was like down to play. Now, you mentioned like, scream you kind of knew it was going to be good like when you're doing a movie like boiler room where i mean it i don't mean this in an insulting way but it was kind of an independent film i guess uh uh lower like lower budget but a studio film but like i said it was more of an arty it had a smaller release in the beginning and then it kind of branched out to a bigger release but yeah it was more of like an artistic film but it was it was still a studio film because it became like a cult huge uh, cult uh, you know like like i said it's still on in regular rotation and uh like to me i view it like goodfellas or casino or i just anytime it's on no matter what point i watch it and because dude i love that you say that because to me it is a comedy it's what a real that's what comedy should be it's it's played real it is real we improvise a lot of shit and like you know the cocaine scene they just kind of put the camera on me and they're like go for it and i just fucking did and i mean there's stuff i could tell you probably have to tell you off air you okay, know what i mean well, you know isn't that sad that we live in that time remember you used to be able to tell tales different era now. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but it was like new york hotel shooting all night it was be great quiet I yeah. think we <laughs> See, this would be a better podcast, like if you, but you can't. You have too much to lose. You, it's not bad. Oh, it's no, not bad, but, but you can't even say, you know, the word cinnamon now. I mean, you know, what I'm saying. Well, they asked me. The comedy store uh, messaged me the other day and said, "Hey, we want to put one of your roast battles on uh, the Instagram page. Which one do you want?" And I'm like, none of them. Like with the jokes we were saying, like, really? Uh, well, it's good press for you, dude. Yeah, I'm definitely not in the position to. Uh, turn down work i mean <laughs> porky's five was out i would be uh cold calling the director uh but you know the jokes for that you it was jokes were pretty yeah wrong. but that's the see dude that that's what roast battle is i know you get it but it's like that's supposed to be the safe space well back in 2015, I, I think that's why the show was so successful was because there wasn't really a show out there on TV or movies that was like going for that Archie Bunker type of humor. Yeah. And uh, but, you, you know, they said, well, why don't we put your battle against the gay guy you uh, fought in Montreal? Uh, his name's Tom Ballard. He's this brilliant Australian comic. And I'm like, uh, 
I know that's the one Kevin Hart and David Spade were judging. And I had a joke that, I mean, they're, they're just all yeah pretty uh, aggressive. Yeah. Like, I, you, you can't put that out there anymore. Yeah. So, what do you think is going to happen, dude? I mean. Do you I, I think know. the word I'm kidding will become extinct? I mean, I think any I, one of us, it especially was, you, uh, because you like been a working actor for 31 years i mean i've just been semi-successful for like three <laughs> the last three years but not on your level but like but some of the use i'm looking at your imdb right now it's literally 100 plus movies tv shows um someone could pick out one line from oh, a yeah. movie and go uh jamie kennedy is this that that yes which is scary Yes, it is. It really is. And this is the time where you have to build your autonomy. But you're right. It is. It's weird. I mean, it's scary. It's weird. Like, you know, when the comedy store called me, I'm like, hey, listen, I'm in an all black cartoon right now. I'm the only white guy on it. Like, I can't have anything. What cartoon? It's that one uh, that's on the wall. It's uh, Tyler, the creators, the jellies. Oh, where is that playing? Hulu? Uh, Adult Swim. And it just got picked up for uh on hbo max that's great but like in and that see the glasses are breaking yeah everything. um but that cartoon goes for it. tyler's sense of humor is, is he's got a good sense of humor well it's um it's very south park yeah and so uh that means and everything the gloves are off pretty much he's like the uh african-american version of of, of trey parker and matt stone mm -hmm. he goes for it mm -hmm. uh but i when the comedy store reached out to me, I'm like, dude, I, I, I can't have anything racial out there. It's just, I, I can't. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very, like, uh, my first comedy uh, influence was Archie Bunker. Yeah. Not for what he was saying, but for what he was saying, but you still liked him. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, so, I mean, but for someone like you, like, you, you just have too much to lose. I, I know. It's, I think so, like... It's weird because it's just like we're, I think we live in a place now where you, you don't even get a, just people are just so like, oh, this is this. They don't look at anything in context. Nuance is out the window. And if you did make a mistake to, to repent or whatever, it's like they don't even want to, people, people do not want to give second chances. Or like even discussions. There's no discussions. See, I think they do, depending on who it is. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and you know, like OJ, uh, I wouldn't say networks gave him a second chance, but like Fox put him on that one primetime show. Uh, I think American Idol was debuting on another network, and they were like, "Well, let's do an OJ special." Like. And so he was kind of like put back in the spotlight. But it was an OJ about the OJ trial. It wasn't yeah. like him doing a guest spot yeah. on a sitcom. It wasn't Yeah, it wasn't the OJ Simpson experiment. Exactly. But he did get he did get a special. You're right. He did get airtime. But like you if you look at a lot of the people who were me too, say last year, uh, I think some will be given a second chance. Some won't. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, which is really scary because, you know, you tour a lot. Or are you mm -hmm. when life was like normal, do you 
you know, one girl could say, well, he did a joke that was offensive to me. Like it's, have you ever seen in your, all your years of successful, uh, you know, your career, have you ever seen a, an era like this where you're almost afraid to say anything? Um, I, I, I'm not scared to say stuff on stage, but I would think recently if you say something on stage and then somebody tapes it, that is weird now, which I would never have been thought of before because the people would just, well, you're in a club, but people have no frame of reference anymore. They don't understand that that's the gym of jokes, you know? Right. So that's the safe place. So I, that is a little, that that's weird, very weird. I guess, but that would be the last bastion. But I on like it's what's really weird. It's just like online. If you like even like something that people don't agree with, just give it a heart. You could get attacked or, you know, leave a comment for somebody that's not, you know, what they consider popular. You can get attacked. So I've never seen that before. And and I'm thinking we're going to this place where like, yo, you got to be on the same page with people like in a lot of ways. And I'm not, you know, whatever, politically, whatever. You got to kind of have to be like that. And then if not, it's just going to be no bueno. And so that's that's keeping a lot of people quiet and that's keeping a lot of people hiding. And and I think it's one. Of, I think Hollywood could edge itself out in the sense that there's going to be splits. Because people are going to be like, yo, I, I'm not like that. Like, you can't just, because I had one thought, like, this doesn't mean I'm this, you know, but they want to box you so much. So I think there's a lot of people in America that don't think like Hollywood. But I think there's also a lot of people in America that are not crazy right wing. They're just down the middle. Maybe they have certain views of the right and certain views of the left. But if Hollywood gets more extreme, I think that could be a very interesting. I don't know what's going to happen. And that's like, yeah. Well, you interviewed George Lucas for Heckler. I had him in Heckler, yes. And he was, that was an amazing story. So and that's we, the king. He is the king. <laughs> he, is, like, he is the king, dude. He, I, he, we were doing, um, I was doing a video with Bob Saget. And so we were, shooting this this music video and and um somebody's on the set and they go yo what's michael mcdonald doing here and they're like they're like what that's not michael mcdonald and somebody goes that's lucas and somebody's like yo that's george lucas and we were on our set and george lucas was such a film dude and at the time it was like oh five oh six and he we were using like what they call the red camera. And that was like a big, like advanced, like digital camera. And so George was just sitting there talking to one of the camera operators, like, Hey, uh, you know, what's your split diopter or whatever. And the guy's like, Oh, and he didn't realize it. And my fucking guy's like, yo, dude, George Lucas is on our set. I'm like, what? And he's like, Bob, George Lucas on the set. And he's like, he's like, is it? I go get him to be in the video. And he goes, Hey Lucas, what are you doing on this set? Like and fucking George is like, oh, hey, hi. And fucking George Lucas came over and they started talking digital stuff and fucking bam. 
he did the video. And that's how I got him to Heckler because I was interviewing people at Heckler at the time too. And so I said, could we do this other interview? And he did. And um, turns out that he, not everyone knows it now, but I knew Musso and Franks forever. I'm sure you did. Oh. He Musso and Franks is like his spot. So he would go there, I think like every Wednesday or Thursday, get the same meal, meet his daughter for lunch. And then he walks around like he's a real Hollywood guy. He loves, he loves old Hollywood and Musso and Franks is great. And so he would go and have lunch and then we were shooting right next to it. And he was like, what's going on? And so he's, he just loves sets and that's how he got him in the thing. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. He's just like, just those first three star Wars. I forget it, bro. It's insane. Like, which were the middle three, but like anyone else would do what he did with the first six films. We show the middle three first. <laughs> he showed the middle three first, dude. And he's the, the universe is just like ever expanding. And you would think like you're much more involved with filmmaking than I am, but I would think, well, wait a minute. If you show the middle three or if you show the first three and that's really the middle three, then people aren't going to know what the hell you're talking about. And then when they see the middle three backwards that they're going to know what happens at the end. Like, I think it's worked out pretty good. For them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know they were the middle three, but you're right. They are the middle three. And then, you know, I, well, I'm a star Wars nerd and like, yeah, those last couple were a little on the rough side. But who, well, he didn't do them. Well, he sold it to like uh, Disney, and then I think uh, it was it J.J. Abrams? Yeah. Did, and uh, I thought they were good throwback feeling. I mean, I like the ones with Chewbacca. I'm a Chewbacca Mark. Uh, yeah, you are. Because uh, I just, you know, it's Chewbacca man, he's like the king. And uh, I mean, if you see the autograph, you have it right there. <laughs> autograph too by the guy. Did you go to the to a went to con? like a convention? Yeah, and, uh, wow, you do have that. You know, I, I like called him Mister Chewbacca. I think his name was David Prowse. Yes, God rest his soul. I think yeah, he, he passed. Just, uh, I think Darth Vader, uh, not James Earl Jones, but the the actual actor who I'm drawing a blank on. Um, he just passed. I think maybe a year or two ago. Yeah. Uh, it, but uh, yeah, I, I called him Mister Chewbacca. Like I was so starstruck. Wow. It's like when I met Mr. The, Chewbacca. I, you know, I don't get starstruck often because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, certainly in stand-up, we're around, especially at the comedy store, there's someone famous. All the time. Uh, you know, Rogan's in that corner. Uh, you're in, in that corner. Uh, you know, Jim Carrey's walking around. Uh, you know, Jay Leno's pulling up on his, you know, I don't know, $200,000 bicycle. Uh, <laughs> but I, I've only been starstruck twice when I met. Chewbacca and the the wrestler, the Ultimate Warrior. Really? Did he come to the store? No, he was doing an autograph signing right up the street. Uh, There's like uh, there was like a very uh, it was like a punk uh, type of record store. It didn't really fit on Sunset and San Vicente, and uh, I guess his manager owned the shop, so they did a signing there. So I went there and I was last in line and. My buddy was his entertainment man, lawyer, and he's like, "Dude, you don't want to meet him. He's kind of a dick." And I'm like, "Ah, this Ultimate Warrior. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand in line." And I was like, literally the 300th person in line. I get up there and I'm dreading it because I'm like, he's got to be exhausted. He's, he's probably 55, 54 at the time. And I get up there, dude. He was in full regalia, like the makeup, like the 
the tights, the yeah. armbands. Uh, oh, wow. He had this wild uh, <laughs> coat on, uh, trench coat, this he, painting. Like, this thing had to cost 20 grand, like a Ric Flair type robe. Yeah. And he just, he was, he couldn't have been any nicer. Like, he was so nice and like humble. And I, I was so, it was like meeting Superman. I just kept calling him Mr. Warrior. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Earl, would you like a picture? I'm like, yes, Mr. Warrior. And then he's like, do you want some, he had like all this merch. He's like, do you want these sweats in the, in the hoodie? And I'm like, oh, I didn't pay for that, Mr. Warrior. He's like, give this kid, give her all my stuff. <laughs> and then he, he hooked you up? He hooked me up, never met me before. And, and, How much uh, did he give you? He probably gave me like $500 worth of stuff uh what and uh but it was like you know i don't get starstruck like how did he give you all that stuff well, he's probably tired and didn't know what he was doing where did he have the signing uh at the punk store it's not there anymore now i think it's like a barber shop but uh it was in the back of the, the store and uh i think tmz was there filming so maybe he just wanted to do it to look like a good guy because he didn't have the best reputation to be honest with you dude but it's like it's weird that you think you know when i met jim carrey at the store uh when he uh he was judging roast battle one night and uh like i wasn't that obviously he's an idol but i don't know i was more starstruck at meeting a pro wrestler than i was one of the greatest living comic of all time whatever yeah. uh you want an actor comic whatever. yeah uh so i mean do you i mean you, have you ever been starstruck given all the people you've worked with? Oh, definitely. Um, I got to work on a movie called Bowfinger. Warren Beatty? No, that was Bullworth. My bad. I auditioned a lot for that. I like that movie. Bowfinger was Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy. Oh, man. And that was, I was in that movie and that was, that was very, very, like, Every day I was in like a PhD comedy program. I mean, those are top five. Yeah, of course. I know. Like, yeah. Both of them. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, that was, that was pretty intense. Yeah, I mean, all the people you've worked with, you and like, he's not going to get starstruck, but like there's, I think everyone. You, I Listen, I've had a lot of starstruck in this, and then you get used to it, you see the person, but then once you start working enough, you know, you have that minute, you know, like, I got to do a couple scenes of Brad Pitt and I was like, wow. And then, you know, then I was in it, you know what I mean? But it, but the first initial thing is because you're meeting like a very rare, you know, type of safari animal, you know, these are rare people, you know what I mean? Especially in LA, like we're around, you can go anywhere and there's someone famous. Like, yeah, but we, you and I probably are in the same vein of we, we really, you know, we're going to get starstruck off of people with a, a long list of pedigree. You know what I mean? I love, you know, the show Stun Sunset Tan. I'm not going oh, to freak out if I see, you know, the star of that. But see, I do. <laughs> yeah, but <there> are, <laughs> you're true. I'm listen, I'm not an elitist, but I'm saying there are, but I, I'll, you know, I'm still a movie star guy, a rock star guy, a TV star guy, you know, I mean, it's, you know, if I see Seinfeld, even though he's on the circuit, that's just an icon of TV. I'm going to still be freaked out. You know what I mean? That's a television icon. But I get freaked out, and I don't think it's starstruck at 
like uh, about a year. I'm obsessed with Showgirls, the movie. Yes. Just, Who, who'd you see? You saw Elizabeth? It was a religious moment. Oh, boy. I can hear and this. he doesn't look anywhere near like he did in Showgirls. Um, the guy, his name was Tony Moss in the I movie. know that name. He was the kind of the... They never really classified him as gay, but he was like the 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 uh, showgirls. He was in in charge of the show. Okay, you know, good looking guy. He was in L.A. Law before, so he, he um the the choreo. He wasn't the choreographer, but uh, he was like that. He was in charge of the show, and um, his name's Alan Racine. Or uh, oh yeah yeah yeah, he's a really good actor. And he was at Whole Foods, and he and he's a little older now. And and I think in Showgirls he might have had a wig on. And I'm not cracking on him, like you know. But he he didn't have one on at Whole Foods, and I'm like, oh my god, you're Tony Moss. And he looks at me like, what are you talking about? My name's Alan. I'm like, no, it's not, man. <laughs> he didn't even remember his character's name. And then I went right into his scene. There's a great scene. It's very much like the scene in Boiler Room. I mm -hmm. reference where. He has all the girls line up and he just critiques them. And it's he's so mean. He's like, Marty, take a look at these tits. This is the stage, babe. Not a patch. See ya. I bet you can't spell MGM backwards. And he's just like <laughs> roasting every girl. And he didn't know what the hell I was talking about. Like, he's just like, get out of my face, dude. And he He laughed and said, Oh, thank you. It was a long time ago. <laughs> you know what's crazy is that you how old are you? Are you I'm 52. So. You're a 52. You're a Kennedy, whatever you want to say. Uh, uh, side. Uh, adjacent. Yeah, yeah. Kennedy, Kennedy yeah. adjacent. You grew up in Bel Air. You, were your family in the business? Um, Had to be. No, to be honest with you, my uh, dad was in the oil business, I guess you'd say, and mom was just a hillbilly with money from Cartersville, Georgia. Okay. No, um, but like I said, the neighborhood, uh, like Harry Nielsen, uh, yeah, was my dad's drinking partner. That's great. And when I say you know drinking, I don't mean a couple beers. I mean they'd go to the Bel Air Hotel, or you know they would drop me off at Bel Air Country Club because I was a golfer back then, uh, and just leave me and then go. Drink. Do you still golf, by the way? Well, here's. It's kind of a funny story. I, I love golf, but I, you know, Bel Air. I got in trouble at Bel Air for my belt not being like literally. Oh, they're hardcore. Yeah, I loved it. It was incredible. But well, even that. But but if someone saw Malibu's Most Wanted today, yeah, they could be like, he's kind of doing that white guy acting black thing. What I just had somebody say this to me on Twitter that um the. Malibu's is racial. What is it? Uh, 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 appropriate race appropriation, and I want to say it's the race appreciation because it's all about a guy that loves hip hop, right? But but you know, yeah, they'll they'll probably come, and some people will complain. But it'll probably be like white women from Berkeley. Now, do you? And it kind of <laughs> falls in line with heckler. Uh, like I know. Um, some people answer their trolls. Like I know back in the day, Chris D'Elia would actually converse with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't have that many. I'm certainly not trolls like you or he did. Like, do you interact with people who's like, oh, you, you're this, you're that? I do, but it's, it's too much work. 
you know, it's like a lot of work. And so I, and honestly, I'm like trying to be, I just like to do good stuff and like be positive. So it's like, but if like a troll gets you, sometimes they get you and you're like, oh man, uh, all right, well, I gotta like fucking like answer them. So sometimes they can get you, you know, you can lose obviously to hecklers, but you know, if they get under your skin and they win, they know it. And it, that just sucks. Well, that was the, like, what I loved about Heckler was it, it kind of showed the, the two types of hecklers primarily. You Did know. you watch Heckler? It's been a while, but yeah, I watch it because I'm obsessed with um, the um, psychology of a heckler. I don't get heckled much just because I'm a, you know, bigger, stranger looking dude. Like, so I think uh, visually uh, people seem to not want to... Um, engage me in terms of hey you suck buddy or like whatever um i here's the thing is that heckler heckler was like such a love project such a labor of love in that um it's kind of ahead of its time bro and now it's really affecting the world because it's just done like any like social discourse is done like we're cooked man and like now there's a new like no one like tries to like oh earl i, I disagree with you earl you fucking lurch fucking six foot lurch motherfucker like you know right away you fuck right. yeah i mean you fucking bel era jason fake kennedy i mean like whatever like jamie kennedy you know you want to be fucking whatever they call me every name in the book and it's like hold on i just said that i didn't i didn't think that bread was as gluten-free as the other bread i mean they'll go for your throat and it's just it's it's there's no social discourse and so now you know what clubhouse is I someone the singer oh, from dude. Bowling for Soup. Yeah. <laughs> Bowling for Soup. Is I love there. those guys. I know you do, but I'm just saying it's just He the, just asked me to join. They're right? on. I said I'm just laughing because I was on there last night. I did see their thing. But I don't know what it is. So here's what you know what Clubhouse is? It's can, this right now, but there's about 80 people listening. Oh, and they can uh yeah. interact. And well then you can bring them into the stage and they can fucking join this conversation if you want. And then he passed the mic to them. But here's what's crazy. Are you ready? Um, you know, people are fucking might have a couple glasses of wine or it might be late or it's the pandemic. So people are staying up all hours of the night. Fucking there's so many people that are going to get canceled on it because not only that, people are taking the conversations and screenshotting them, the videos and putting them on YouTube and saying, oh, so-and-so was on and. So it's like, dude, it's in beta. I can't see how this isn't going to bring down American society. Well, I did. I like it, but you got to like watch your P's and Q's. Well, I did something with Jeff Richards. Uh, do you know Jeff? I love Jeff. I just had him on my pod. He's amazing. Yes. Uh, he got me into this thing a couple of years ago called Battle Cam. Oh, yeah. I know. What is that? Well, it's this billionaire. Uh, by the name of I know what that is. That's the that's the dude. Alki Dave. Alki. Is he a real billionaire? Alki. Oh, yeah. Wait, Alki had the whole thing over in Beverly Hills right. across from Allegro. Yes. I went there. But Alki never paid, dude. Alki owes me money. He did pay me. I'll give him that. <laughs> Where is Alki? Does he listen to this? Well, uh, he my, should be funding stuff. 
Well, he's just some rich dude who I think has like a 20-year-old girlfriend uh, in Malibu. Yeah, he literally owns like half. He owns like a mountain on Malibu. And he was... Um, Alki, he's a funny dude. You know, he was always nice to me, but Jeff was like, hey, I need a co-host because they gang up on me and they just make fun of me because I got, you know, he had, I think he's the only guy still to be, and I love him. I'm not like cracking on him, but he, he got fired from SNL and Mad TV. Mm. Uh, and so he's, so Battle Cam was like Clubhouse kind of. I remember Battle Cam. Yes. Well, people had shows on it. Like me and Jeff had, a, I guess, a talk show, you'd say. And uh, who was the model, that the crazy model from the 70s that sued Harvey? Janice Dixon. Yeah. Janice. I mean, she was nice to me, but like, was a little out there. She had a show, Cato Kalen, and, and uh, you were in the fucking All Stars right there. It, I don't know how I got in there. I mean, the only credit I had at that time was being in bench warmers for about twenty seconds. Mm. Uh, but uh, the, the the brutality of these people—they were called Jeff Fat and Loser. They would go right through it. Yeah, they would. It, it was like uh, a freak. Free cam meets. It was like a ro. It was like a roast. The people were roasting you right to yeah, your face. Yeah, it was brutal. And I, yeah, I was so unknown at the time. Like I literally had one credit, and people were, "Who is this loser? He looks like uh, Max Headroom." <laughs> like, I, I got off kind of easy, but Jeff, they were just hammering. Like I could mm. see someone like you or Jeff who actually has like credits. Like they would just pick apart every uh, thing you did. But it was kind of funny, you know, at the time. I remember that whole thing he had well, he set got, up over there. It was a great setup. I mean, I would say in the control room and, and the two like studios, there had to have been a couple million dollars worth of equipment. Yeah. Uh, but then I think he started getting into trouble. He tried to do his own TV network, and he was just like showing episodes of Friends, and he didn't really have the rights. <laughs> and I'd be like, I, he had Miami Vice on. I'm like, dude, how? Like, I, I thought this was like an NBC show. I think like, I remember this dude. Al, where did he? He's on TikTok now, killing it. Alki. Yeah. it's And then it's funny. I was watching this Jason Statham movie. Wait, Manoush. You know Manoush? Yeah. I love Manoush. She's awesome. Yeah, she was Alki's like right hand. Manoush used to take, bring me in there. Yeah, she was, uh, we kept in touch for a while, but then I think she started doing, I think she was running from Alki because like she, She'd take these like really weird trips to like Abu Dhabi and just like yeah, uh, but you know she was like I guess you'd say in charge of the studio yeah, uh, you know Alki was just like I, I, I he was an, he was an entrepreneur he was doing it he was gonna be like a disruptor of entertainment and then I don't know I think he stopped well I think he just got I mean I'm like dude aren't you worried that NBC and Michael Mann are, are gonna sue you and he's like for what and I'm like I don't know I, I don't think you're supposed to be showing Miami Vice it's not you haven't paid for the rights he's like what the fuck do you care I'm like oh, I, don't, I don't care at all to be honest with you like, sure <laughs> when does season three start it's my favorite season uh, see this is what I love because you grew up in Bel Air in Hollywood but you, like I was saying you still got like starstruck by people you like Oh, and I, that's what's yeah. cool like You're I, not jaded. You just, it's California is your home. Well, I'm dude. jaded. Like the more I've been in this business, like uh, I think the more uh, I don't think I I don't call it bitter, but I call it the more honest I am now. I could see that, dude. Uh, but uh, you know, I I just think I don't know about you, but the older I've gotten, the 
the phoniness of the business has gotten me to speak up about it. It's it, getting to the, yeah, dude, I'm there with you, dude. I, I'm like, if the demic is going to keep everything down, then I'm probably going to go all better off and just really be a hundred percent. But it's hard because, you know, you still got to work with, you got to wor work amongst these alligators, if you will. I mean, it's like, you know, the swamp is getting, it's, it, it's drain, it's getting less and less, but we still do have uh, unsavory characters in Hollywood that we have to deal with. Do you agree? And so I wish I could go around all day really saying my opinion, but so many fucking people get butthurt and who are in power. And there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of idiots in power. You know, oh my God. I wish we could just be honest all fucking day. And then the beautiful thing about this and different things is like, oh, let's just create our own thing and then worry about it. So I'm like straddling that line because I'm getting, I just, my patience is done, dude. That, that's exactly how I feel. Like, you know, when I, you know, I wasn't treated well on Roast Battle, the TV show. So I spoke up about it. I'm like, I can't hold it in. I, I even though Comedy Central may never use me again, it, it's a bridge I, I don't want to burn, but I'm willing to. Uh, I, so Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, I, look, I've done some work with Comedy Central. I enjoyed it, but I don't know if anybody's running the Comedy Central right now. No disrespect to Comedy Central. It's, oh, no. I'd love to be on it. But, yeah. like, I was so mistreated on that show by several people and the network overall. I was like, I, I can't just hold it in. Like, Did it. you go online? Uh, yeah, I just tweeted and Facebooked about it. And, oh, you uh, did a diatribe. You know, I did a couple podcasts. Oh, that might have, that put some, you burnt that hard. But probably a lot of people are out of it there who were there when you were there. Well, I mean, probably the last straw was when they asked me to do the Roast Battle podcast in the Viacom building. And I just cut a wrestling promo for an hour, uh, just calling out people I don't like on the show. Just, oh. I challenged Jeff Ross to a roast battle and... Uh, I was pretty uh, colorful and I didn't say anything wacky, but like a, mm -hmm. uh, I made it known my displeasure with him. And, and uh, that, that might've been the final <laughs> straw. <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like a whole other subculture. Oh, it's, it's, it's a whole, I don't know. but you know, I, it, I'm, I think I got uh, motivation from uh, the ultimate warrior, which is yeah. not a good thing when you're getting motivation from a, a insane pro wrestler but yeah he was like the only wrestler to stand up to vince mcmahon and said no i'm not uh i'm not pleased with how you're treating me i'm gonna need one million he did this at a pay-per-view where uh, you know they I, I think i think they had his opponent go out to the ring and vince always stands right um next to the curtain you go the wrestlers go out on they either say good work or good job or whatever and the ultimate warrior is about to hear his name calling. He's like, I'm not going out there unless I get $1 million more. And that's brilliant because he felt that he was underpaid and, and he listed his reasons. And he's like, my name gets called and you don't write on a contract that I get one more million dollars. You're going to have an empty uh, ring. And he did it. And then the match was over and he got fired. But like he didn't I, get the million? Yeah, he got the million. Now, my motivation wasn't financial. I'm just, my parents um, raised me uh, in a very bizarre way. Uh, but the, the greatest thing they ever did was everyone's equal. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, my dad treated uh, the caddies at Bel Air no differently than he did his billionaire girlfriends. And, yeah. 
Like I treat Russell Peters the same as I do an open mic comic mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I just want to be. Yeah, no, no, I hate disrespect and no, I hate elitism. Yeah, I, no, I mean, I'm like, I get my place in the world of Hollywood, but like, I won't be uh, treated like I'm just some flunky. But, you know, sometimes you got to play the game too. Like, yeah. I call it palming. Yeah. Like, if you had a hot cartoon on right now and you were casting, but like, hey, Jamie, how you doing? Like, nice got anything yeah i hate it but like i've learned almost 20 years later you gotta like ask which i hate yeah no i, I agree but uh, i've learned no i don't at the moment well no i but, you do well i mean who knows he's so famous or, or busy or whatever the right word is tyler that you know uh, I, I don't know if it's coming back or not so yeah but he treats me amazing like it, it's that showed me the good side of the business because mm-hmm. he just had his friends um i don't think anyone auditioned for the show and uh you know he just please thank you hey Earl, your voice is so deep can you maybe lighten it up a little bit oh yeah no problem okay great that was great thank you like i just love being who doesn't like being treated nice that's the best dude that's like have you amazing. you don't have to mention their name, but have you ever been in a film where the director, the producer, whoever, like was kind of a dick to the cast? You don't have to mention the name. If you want to, you can. Um it's not like really the I'm trying to think. I've def I've, it's not really the actors or the producers or the director. It's more like the, the PAs. No, it's like the AD. There's just I I've had listen, I've had stinkers in all walks of life. Right. In the in the business, but it's not just one position that is a stinker. There can be a stinker that's a producer, but there can also be a stinker that's an actress or there could be a stinker that's an actor or there could be a stinker that's a you know, a, a hair person. I mean, we're all, you know, everybody can have their moments, but for the most part, it's been pretty good. I'm trying to think of one specific one. It's usually, it's usually when you work on the good stuff, that's not the problem. It's more of like when you work with lower budget, not to disrespect people, but you know, you want to, you know, like water to state. Yeah. Enemy to state was a dream, dude. Water seeks its own level. You know what I mean? So it's like, that was just like walking in the Bel Air of making movies without the racist part. But I mean, I'm a big Gene Hackman guy. Yes. I will cry when he died. I he's I think he's born in thirties uh, was he eighty? No, ninety now. Yeah. Like it's like Dude, he's the best. I got to do the scene with him. And uh I have big hands. And uh, we were in a scene and he was, it was him on one side and me in the middle and Will Smith outside the car and it was downtown LA and it was shut and it was raining and it was 15 cameras and, and he's like, no, he had to say something that goes, wait here or something like that, whatever that scene is. And Will's like, okay. And fucking his hand. It's on the bridge. Yes, it's bigger than my head, my head, dude. And I have huge hands. And I'm like, this is the only dude I've met bigger hands than me, like in Hollywood. And he 
they were like mitts. And I remember then reading about him because I was always such a fucking fan, of, just like a super fan of his acting. But oh I think he was a Marine. And he was like a legit, legit, legit like Marine. And like I just, he is one of the best, best, how can I say it? The, he is one of the greatest people I've ever worked with in this, in this, besides the fact that he's just one of the best, amazing actors is that you feel his energy right away and you, you better be prepared to match it. He's right. just, he knows exactly what he's going to do in a scene and he's, and he's amazing and he's great. And when he's done, he's done with it and then, and he'll talk, you know, and he'll, he's real calm. But when in the scene, you can just feel that he has what we, you know, you know, the term subtext, right. he doesn't talk in character. He becomes it. Right. Like, I feel it. Like, actually, like, I, you know, I can become a character with voice and movement sure. and shit, but I'm still aware of it. I actually believe it's like in his cells, like the intensity. He's as intense as anything I've ever met. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, he, he was in my favorite war movie, which most people think platoon or apocalypse now or deer hunter uh but there's a smaller movie uh uncommon valor yes dude but he's also in was he in was he in the birdcage no he was. He, he's been in comedies dude he was in uh oh he's so good yeah dude like, he was in uh in anything the one the, the movie he did with love they were they were con artists and he was in that I mean, he's 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 as he's as funny as he is intense, and his his, his comedy is intense, funny. I mean, he had these scenes in Uncommon Valor with Tex Cobb, who was a pretty famous boxer from yeah. He basically became famous by uh, Larry Holmes killing him for fifteen rounds, and Tex Cobb was just laughing at him, just like hit me more, like I, like I'm going the full fifteen, you're not knocking me out. And he, he was so funny that he, he got on like the Tonight Show and they started getting movie work. Like, uh, and Gene Hackman, here he is with some boxer who's never acted in his life and he made him look like an Oscar winner. Like, it was just, wow, that's a good actor when you can take an untrained, probably, Tex Cobb was a party or he's probably out drinking and doing blow all night and you made him look on your level. It was like, that's wow. incredible. So, uh, and then I think it was Patrick Swayze's first movie. Uh, wow. It, so it's very boiler room esque with a, it's such an amazing cast with Fred Ward, who's like in everything. And, uh, I remember that that came out around the time of like hamburger Hill. 83. I was before, before platoon. Yeah. It didn't get like, you know, it didn't get the love that other war movies did, but like Robert Stack was in it. And, and yeah, no, it's like, a known it, actors movie. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, even in, and there was uh who else was in it? Uh, Red Brown, who was like an eighties actor to, you know, he did some things and, uh, dude, I don't think Hackman, I heard this story that Hackman doesn't act anymore. Cause, yeah. Cause he can't deal with how dumb people are in Hollywood. Well, he's got to be, I mean, he's born in 1930, so he's 90 years old. I can't imagine um, him wanting to work a 12-hour day. No, yeah. Unless the role was so, I mean, I don't know what role could be enticing to someone like him who's done it all. Uh, 
Dude, Ed Asner's in Cobra Kai, though. Yeah, no, I mean, some people are just junkies. And uh, by the way, Cobra Kai season, the next season, I'm geeked out. Wait, did you watch season three? I'm a big fan. Dude, Cobra Kai is amazing. But I'm a fan of Karate Kid 3. I haven't seen that one. You know, it was like 1989, and, and Ralph Macchio didn't. Wasn't that the one with? Um, it's the one. The the, the actor's the, name is Thomas Ian Griffith. He was the main bad guy. But who? What is the one with? Um, dude, my brain is done. Dementia. With the, I have a Rain Man. With the girl. That was the one, Hillary Swank. Yeah, Hillary Swank. Well, there's three. That was the next Karate Kid. Is that after three? That, yeah, that was okay. like, I want to say 94. I just said the girl. Like, Hillary, I told, yeah. my brain is done. Well, dude, it's a lot of bolt. You got a lot of stuff in your brain. Yeah. I, I have this almost bizarre. Uh, Catalog. Ca- I'm a, I would be a great casting director because I just. Uh, but Karate Kid 3. It, it, I think the story had maybe gotten a little long in the tooth uh but yeah. uh the the bad guy was so over the top he made it like it's a guilty pleasure movie i don't think it did well at the box office but he was so amazing in it um he played like a trump type really? character who was very good at, in real life he's like a 10th degree black belt so it, his fighting scenes were very realistic i the, the rumors are he's coming back don't tell me I, I'm just. Wait, saying, did you watch all season three already? Absolutely, dude. It's so good. But what's so? I use that as a template when I talk about stuff because POV is everything, right? And the POV is so switched in it, and they really is like there's endless things they can do now. It's incredible. Well, you know all the flashback scenes. Incredible, yeah. All that, that stuff w- with the war that was done to set up this guy's return. Don't even tell me. No, but I'm I'm not wow. spoiling anything. Okay. But if, like, in Karate Kid 3, it starts off by Martin Cove, you know, Sensei Kreese. Um, he's down and out. And this guy is a billionaire. He says, you know, they probably only had him for, like, four days. So they, they, he flies Martin Cove out to, like, Hawaii. He says, have fun in Hawaii. And then he would not... He's not in any more of the movies. So it was just like a cameo. And so in Cobra Kai, the guy with the long hair in the flashback scenes is the bad guy from Karate Kid 3. Mm. So they were, I think they're setting up his return. Because if you remember, in the very last scene of Cobra Kai, this season, he picks up the phone. Yes. And he says, I needed that favor. And I don't think, oh, like, to yeah. people like you, who didn't see three, no. you, you don't you don't get I, it. I laughed after two. A lot of people did. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I was just starting to get busy in life. Well, yeah, it's called working. <laughs> yes, but one was... I had a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. But, I've seen three. But one was... One is, you can't... One is, you know, Rocky-esque. I mean, one shaped me. I mean... It's just like it's the per I like I always say Predator is the perfect action movie. Yeah. Uh and I think Karate Kid is the perfect, I guess, coming of age slash kind of action movie. Yes. Whatever you want to call it. Uh 
So, I mean, we grew up in a good era. Dude, we grew up in the best era, dude. Think about it. Pat Morita. The people don't realize he was such a funny comedian. Yeah, from uh, Happy Days. Yeah, but he was a big nightclub act. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think... Well, it's like, I, I don't think you're such a big actor. I don't think people still realize, oh, he just stand up. Yeah, people don't realize Does that. Does that bother you? Um, It used to, but it's, you know comes with the territory. That's a good problem to have. Yeah, it's a good... <laughs> Believe me, I'd love to have it. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, a lot of people, you know, look, a lot of people, they know you from what they know you from, you know? So I'm, I'm lucky that they know me from my movies and TV. But the things that's funny is that how I got all the beginning of that stuff is that comedy clubs were casting people would see me. And then like a commercial agent saw me and had me come in and that's how I got a commercial agent. So a lot of stuff came out of the comedy world. Yeah. I mean, I used to open for Rob Schneider and like, I don't think people even realize he did stand. He, he started as a stand up, but got so famous. Yes. Like he, he didn't quit, but he was like, well, he was busy. I don't want to do a weekend at the chuckle bone in Jacksonville and making whatever. Yes. But know. comedy changed in the last five years where now everybody who's ever done it, who's alive comes out again. Because you can, and you can build your audience, and so you can make your own shows and sell your own tickets. And so I think the community has changed so much and it's thriving, but it is filled with everybody. Yeah, Tommy's I mean, never been hotter, I think. Well, because you have a great podcast and like slowly getting there. Yeah, thank but you. You could say at the end of it, hey, I'll, this is Jamie, I'll be at the comedy store or on the road. I'll be at uh, you know, the uh, what's the big theater in Boston, the Wilbur Theater in yeah. Boston, you know, and like that, that's a great way to sell tickets. I think, yeah, I agree, dude. I agree. I'm really digging it. So, um, well, dude, I, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> well, I appreciate you having me, man. Dude, no, I mean, like, it means a lot to me, especially during a pandemic. <laughs> like, I know you're I, far enough, but I mean, I that? get it. You don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. You, you said everything's sanitized. My lady's upstairs. Yeah, yeah, she's upstairs, but like, you know, she uh, writes and produces Holy Moly, so she gets tested like three times a week. We can't have Robert Eagle getting sick. So, like, yeah. like, come on, he's the breadwinner for a lot of people. Uh, so like I just I, I'll say anything I can to make him feel comfortable. Uh, I literally dip these mics into like uh, Lysol and they look so, good. Well, you know, I mean, a lot of Tony Katane's touch these mics is you know she's the real deal. Yeah. Uh, but thank you, dude, for doing this, dude. Thank you, bro. Uh, work. Not that you need my fans uh, to follow you, <laughs> but uh where would you like people to uh twitter instagram is it at it's instagram to jamie kennedy twitter facebook all that stuff is just jamie kennedy uh are you on tiktok or are you i'm on tiktok too jamie kennedy and uh clubhouse clubhouse jamie kennedy and uh, you can listen to my podcast hate to break it to you jamie kennedy and that's apple Podcasts. yeah everywhere soundcloud spotify stitcher spotify uh iheart radio uh Jamie Kennedy came to my house. Pandemic. Pandemic. I get told no by a lot of people. <laughs> he did not say no. And I want you guys to like, he doesn't need extra fans, but like. I'll take him. Hey, li listen to this podcast. I don't know if you sell merch or anything. Got merch. Uh, at jamiekennedy.com. They can go to my podcast and you'll see it. They'll sell hoodies and stuff. I don't get a dollar from these Go sales. to jamiekennedy.com for other sales. Just. Help him out. 
Yeah. Like, he's a good dude, and, you know, he don't need the money, but, like, it's nice, nice way to give back to him. He Podcasts are no joke. We've been talking for almost an hour and 40 minutes. Wow. Like, I'm sure this was not on your bucket list. <laughs> I'm enjoying it. But, like, you know, so. We're probably related. We might be. Yeah. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll do a cartoon together. Who knows? I love that, man. I mean, I'll believe me, I'll work real cheap. <laughs> yeah. I'm 52. I'm beginning to think new faces ain't calling me. <laughs> the fucking business is going to kill me. Uh, Jamie, thank you. Thank you, bro. Inappropriate Earl, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and, uh, you know, when this is open up. Uh, do you have any comedy shows coming up? The Rooftop? Uh, anything you want to plug? Oh, I got a show in San Diego, March. Oh, I got two shows there. March uh, 6th, I'm going to be at the Grand, the Grand Comedy Cafe in Escondido. Okay. And then I'm going to be in uh, March 7th in Gilbert, Arizona in some outdoor show. Yeah, the, Arizona is like the Wild West for yeah. comedy shows. Like Schneider's there. Like yeah. Jimmy Kimmel's sister loves it there. So uh, go see those shows. Go on uh, you know, the podcast uh, website for uh, the tour dates and uh, support Jamie because you know, he didn't have to do this. I'm sure he doesn't want to talk about fucking Boiler Room. I love it, dude. I appreciate it. I mean, but come on. Hello, you're at a 10. I could use you about a 2. Inappropriate <laughs> Earl. We'll be back next week with maybe one of the village people.